0: There's no better way to celebrate Academy Award season than by checking out Best Classics Ever and their slate of Best Actor-nominated performances.
1: They've got Cary Grant for Penny Serenade and Frederick March for A Star is Born. And a two-spot of William Powell films in My Man Godfrey and Life with Father. And while it's always a joy to be nominated, it's even better when you win. Like Oscar winner Jose Ferrar for Serenade Bergerac*. You can find all five of these films at Best Classics Ever right here on Plex. And check out our show, The Matinee, in the Hollywood Canteen section at bestclassicsever.com. Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits
2: are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you.
1: I was to gonna say, like the whole point I'm of not Star a, Wars I'm is not together to shoot those freaking things to kill the Death Star. You are talking that's the whole design of that movie. I'm a things little, didn't go uh, the way you thought. I'm no, I'm just a little. <laughs> Stallone's playing soccer. Yeah. What's going on? I'm I, watching I, this. I, I saw did, that at a very young age, and I didn't.
0: You're coming you at me hard. I'm not coming, coming hard. at you. Yeah, you are. I just don't believe her choices. Her choices are ridiculous. That, Get me a, a, give me, Everett. Give me an emotion.
1: Hi, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms, with a backlog of 150 episodes for your listening pleasure. Mr. Butler, how are you? Doing well? How are you? I do, we are not alone. We are. We have a guest today. Uh, well, we're we're also intrus- we're alone, and we have a guest. We okay. Well, that's true. I guess. I guess technically that's true. Um, I want to introduce our audience to uh, Laura Johns from Why the Book Wins podcast. Laura, introduce yourself. Say hello to everybody.
2: Hi. Thanks for having me on.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you.
2: Podcast Why the Book Wins, where I compare books with their movie adaptations.
1: And we were on your ep- I don't know. I don't know when this episode comes out because we record ahead of time but I know that we were on your episode and that's not out yet as of this recording, but I, will they, will they come out at the by same the, time?
2: By the time this one goes live, ours for enemy will have
1: been posted. Awesome. Okay. So yeah, Mike and I uh, watched the movie enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal, the Denis Villeneuve's, uh earlier film, not, not his first film. I don't want to spo- put no spoilers. Uh, so <laughs> we did that. And, and Laura agreed to come on and she, she actually, we had our list of movies that we wanted to do this season. We already had planned it out. And I, I, I gave you the list and she chose, what movie did you choose? In Bruges. In Bruges. Excellent. Butler, what's In Bruges about? After a particularly difficult
0: job, hitman Ray and Ken head to Belgium to hide out until things cool down. Ray hates the medieval city they land in, but Ken finds its beauty and peacefulness enchanting. Their experiences become increasingly surreal and possibly life-changing as they encounter tourists, locals, an American dwarf, and a potential romance for Ray. That is a... Not so great summary.
1: Yeah, that's okay. Oh, uh, you know what? I forgot to, uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's okay. That's just, I, I don't know. Describes it right. better
0: than the trailers describe
1: the movie. You no, know, the trailer's just meant to get you into the theater. They don't care about right. after that. <laughs> All right, so In Bruges has a runtime of 107 minutes. It's rated R. Production budget of $15 million. Now, I don't know if Butler, you saw this, but it has a release date on IMDb Pro of February 29th. 2008 but that's wrong that's not that's when it went that's when it went from a hundred and something theaters to like 250 theaters right it's limited release date was february 8th 2008 and that weekend it did 459 thousand dollars uh domestic uh, total domestic was 7.8 million and worldwide was 34 million which makes sense that it would do well uh, do better internationally than domestically, uh, obviously, because it's it's pretty much in Bruges. <laughs> see how it, oh, it's gonna, I see. That's going to happen a lot. That's going to happen a lot. Production companies were Blueprint Pictures, Film 4 Productions, Focus Features, and Scion Films. It was distributed by Focus Features in the United States and Universal Pictures internationally. So I said it came out on February 8th, 2008. It went up against Fool's Gold, the uh, ever-popular Kate Winslet, no, Kate Winslet, Kate, Kate Hudson, Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey. Yeah. Did you watch that? Have you seen that movie? I do like that.
0: It's actually on our, our forgotten films list oh, as, an is okay, it? as an OK Valentine's Day uh, movie. Laura, have you ever seen that?
2: Yeah, it's a fun one.
1: It's, <laughs> I enjoy it. That's the one where they're hunting for treasure, right? Is that what it yeah. is? Yeah. OK. All right. It also went up against Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins. And then the Wild West comedy show, 30 Days and 30 Nights, Hollywood to the Heartland. That was the Vince Vaughn-hosted uh, stand-up that went across the country. And then I also have here the hottie and the naughty. I know that everyone's a big <laughs> fan of uh, Paris. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also have how to rob a bank and 10 tips to actually uh, get away with it. Um, Butler, why do I have that there?
0: Because that was referenced in Logan Lucky as right. on the uh, the refrigerator or on the wall of Channing Tatum's characters. Uh,
1: the actual trailer. list, the actual list that he uses to how he's going to rob the 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 NASCAR air, the circuit or whatever is the is what they use in How to Rob a Bank. Uh, so yeah, there's references there. The How to Rob a Bank lore is like a it's like a real indie film, so it's not yeah. it, it, it probably would be a tough to find out there. Although this yeah. although ever since we did the Logan Lucky episode, uh, this. Reference has popped up. This movie has popped up like three or four times since then. So maybe that's saying something. Always seems to happen. Yeah, exactly. So the week before uh, February 1st, you had the eye over her dead body in Strange Wilderness. And of course, Butler's favorite, Hannah Montana and Miley Cyrus, best of both worlds concert. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And then the week after, which is interesting because the week after is technically the 15th, that's the Friday, but they had all the movies come out on the 14th, on Valentine's Day, on that Thursday. So you had, uh, and of course, a Valentine's movie would not be complete without the Spiderwick Chronicles. I don't know why that's there. <laughs> Jumper, Step Up to the Streets, and then Definitely Maybe. That's the Valentine's Day movie, the Ryan Reynolds film. Um, Laura, since your podcast is compares books to the movie, I'm curious, have you ever got into those Spiderwick Chronicles or any of the, uh, the YA stuff like that? Is that something that you cover?
2: No, I've never yeah. read Spiderwick. I've never read Percy Jackson. I've never read Hunger Games. <laughs> so as a, I mean, as a kid, I read a lot, but I don't know. I just never got around to them. And as an adult, it just doesn't really interest me.
1: Was YA as, I guess, prevalent? You, when you were growing up in terms of, cause there's so many out there now, like there's just so many YA series books. Is that something yeah, I that you
2: remember what I read in high school, but I don't know. I didn't read many series to begin with.
1: It just seems like there's so much of it now. It just seems like there's always a new it's big YA business. Cause now it's all right. movie deals and stuff attached to them. The IPs yeah, and yeah, stuff Netflix like that. money. Yeah. That makes sense. That, you're always talking about Netflix money. Everyone else has money too, man. Not that like <laughs> Netflix. No one throws it out like Netflix. <laughs> Okay, so this film, In Bruges, was written and directed by Martin McDonough. He has uh, been nominated for an Oscar for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which is a really good film. Uh, He's also, he actually won an Oscar for a live action short called Six Shooter, and he's done Seven Psychopaths. And uh, the the play, I only say this because I actually saw this play on Broadway, was The Pillow Man. I think I saw that. Yeah.
2: I was looking him up, and yeah, I was seeing all the stuff about The Pillow Man, which was
1: that good? It, what I, yeah, it was very, it was like a, it was, it was basically one-on-one conversations most of the time. Um, but it was, it, it, it was, it dealt with some dark subjects, but it was good. I, it was, it was really good on stage. I think Jeff Goldblum was in the one I watched. I, I Cameras, there was a couple other people in there too, but yeah, no, I liked it. Uh, I think he did that one as a short too. I don't know if it came out as a feature. Um, I don't know if it would do well as a feature because it's a talkie. It's, it's basically just like one or two rooms and, and maybe three or four total actors kind of thing. So yeah, seems
2: like all his movies deal with darker subjects, oh, yeah. so like
1: dark humor. Three billboards I really like. I remember the the true true story of that, but I, I I that was a that was a really good movie. I'm not a huge Seven Psychopaths fan. I know Butler, do you like that? I do like that. I'm surprised you don't like Seven Psychopaths. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't get into it. Uh, so cinematographer was Eagle Bird. He did Kinky Boots, Ocean's Eight, and Becoming Jane. Composer was Carter Burwell. He's been nominated for an Oscar for Carol and Three Billboards. There's a lot of Billboards nomination is going to be popping up here. He also just uh, uh, did the movie The Tragedy of Macbeth. He did The Founder, which is a movie we did on uh, on the show, and he's he's done a lot of Coen Brothers films, which I know I'm a big fan of. I think Butler is too. Um, mm-hmm. Lord, do you like do you like follow the Coen Brothers at all? Their movies, like uh, yeah, yeah, I, I love all their stuff. It even the stuff yeah. that's just eh, I, I still like it.
0: That was a leading question because you, you were already like, I know I really liked it. I'm pretty sure Butler does too. It was like, yeah. we're going to stop recording if you don't say yes. <laughs>
1: of course she's right. going to say yes. So the guest point. is gone now. <laughs> <laughs> Edited by John Gregory. Uh, he was nominated for three billboards. He also did Four Weddings and a Funeral, Donnie Brosco and The Road, which is super depressing. Uh, produced by Grant Broadbent, who's done The Boy Called Christmas, which I did not say. No, that's the, that was the new holiday one on Netflix. Uh, the second best exotic Miragold Hotel. I'm ashamed to say I've seen both of those. Uh, Peter Schert, Peter Churnin, uh, who's also produced this. He did Emma and Welcome to Sarajevo. She had Colin Farrell as Ray. Uh, Farrell's been in Tigerland, Minority Report, uh, the Miami Vice uh, movie that Butler and I did, and he's the upcoming The Batman. Uh, I guess that's like four hours long. Uh, Brendan Gleeson as Ken. He's in Lake Placid, Gangs of New York, The Village, and Harry Potter. There's going to be a Harry Potter the, theme. Go ahead, yeah. He was also
2: in Cold Mountain, which I covered on my
1: podcast. That's good job. Hey, listen. Plug the plug your show. Go for it. <laughs> um, what I was saying was that there's there's a bunch of Harry Potter people in this movie, so get ready for the Harry Potter references. Ray Fiennes is Harry. Uh, he played who? Do he play Butler in Harry Potter? Oh, Ray Fiennes is uh, the
0: He Who Shall Not Be Named. I can't say his name on this podcast. I will.
1: Voldemort. <laughs> oh my God! How could you? I don't care. Uh, He's nominated (laughs) nominated for two Oscars, uh, one for Schindler's Lich, which is a fantastic film, and The English Patient. He also did The Dig. I got Let's see. I have uh, Clement Poisi. I think I said that right. Is Chloe. Uh, She plays the, I guess, the girlfriend of Ray or uh, the drug dealer that he meets. She's in Tenet. She plays uh, Floor in Harry Potter and Goblet of Fire and on from there. She's in Final Portrait and 127 Hours. Jordan Prentice plays Jimmy. Uh, the uh, the dwarf in the movie, or the little person, uh, as you were. Uh, I, I just said dwarf because that's what they say in the movie. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's Howard the Duck. Did you know that? What? His his credit is Howard the Duck, and he's Howard the Duck. I did not know that. Yeah. So I, I was like, all right. That's pretty <laughs> wild. He's also in uh, Mirror Mirror, and he's in this movie called Ruby Sky P.I. The Spam, and the reason why I bring that up, is when I did a web series back in 2010, we did the Puzzle Maker Sun. The web, Ruby Sky PI was a web series out of Canada that was pretty popular. And it was, uh, it was like kind of like a little encyclopedia Brown type thing. It was a young girl who was like solving crimes in the city. Uh, and it, it was actually a well-done web series, but it never, and they did a movie, but it never really kind of shot off from there. Um, but I always remember that in terms of my, my web series years, uh, which is now going on 12 or 13 now. Oof, that's a long time. <laughs> Belclue Roten as Marie. She's in Red Sparrow and the American. Uh, let's see. Zelko Ivanek as the Canadian guy. That's a, they couldn't give him a name. So his role is Canadian guy. And- right. he, if he looks familiar, he's on like almost every TV show like out there. Like he's got a guest spot or he's on a six episode arc. But right now, I, or more recently, he was on the TV show Madam Secretary. He's also in Argo and Courage Under Fire. And then Karen Hines as Priest. Uh, he is just recently nominated for an Oscar for the movie Belfast. And depending upon when this comes out, he'll either have won it or lost it. He's also in Munich, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy and the TV show Rome. I'm going to recommend Belfast to both of you. It's, it's a really good film. I really liked it. So I if you have not... That. Yeah, it's, I love the way it's shot and I love the way it looks. And I just, I love... There's a lot of stuff going on in there. And he, him and Judy Dench both got nominated and they were really good in the movie. So I, I, that was a pretty good nomination. This movie was nominated... For best writing for original screenplay, but it did not win. And as I like to do on the podcast, we're going to play who won that year. You ready? Oh God! Here we go. Laura, you can join in as well. Here we go. I'm going to give you the list. So Martin McDonough did not win, but I'm going to give you the list of people in the movies, and you tell you can guess out who you thought won. So we have Courtney Hunt for Frozen River, Dustin Lance Black for Milk, Mike Lee for Happy Go Lucky, and Andrew Stanton, Jim Reardon, and Peter Doctor for wall Who won the 2009? Academy award for best writing, original screenplay. I'm guessing milk. I, I was going to guess milk as well. Correct. Yes. Dustin Lance black for milk. Absolutely. Good job. Good job. I don't have any parting Woo. gifts, but good job. <laughs> okay. So I'm done talking. Cause I talk forever. Uh, we have all seen this movie before. I know that Laura, I'm curious. Why did you choose this film out of the 12 uh, right off the bat? Like why, what, what made you choose in Bruges?
2: So I saw it when it came out on Redbox. So back in 2008, when it was on Redbox. And my dad actually Redboxed it. And I was in high school at the time. And so, especially once I got in high school, like my dad and I became like movie watching buddies. And he's still alive. So it's, it's like sentimental reasons, but it's not yeah. because he's dead or anything. But anyway, <laughs> so we watched it and we both went into it. Like, I don't know if he knew this about this, but I knew absolutely nothing about it. And then watching it, I don't know, we were both kind of blown away because I guess I had low expectations. And so I also remember thinking with that movie where it made me realize that I love going into a movie knowing nothing. (laughs) Mm because then like everything that happens comes as a surprise. And So I actually avoid watching trailers now for like most movies because I don't want to know anything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it's a fond memory, I guess, for one. And then I also just really like this director, like I really enjoy Seven Psychopaths and Three Billboards. And yeah, it's just a fun one. So, but it's also like very serious and heartfelt yes. at other times and violent, but funny. And so yeah, it's just a great movie.
1: Did, um, did anything change? Like, So have you seen it before since then? Is uh, this like the, your second or third viewing?
2: This is probably, I think I've seen it at least one time. In the okay. Movie. So this is probably maybe my third or fourth. However, it's been years. So it had been like, I don't know, it's been over five years since I had seen it.
1: Did anything change at this viewing uh, for you compared to like maybe the first time you saw it?
2: Mm, I mean, I still remembered most everything. Actually, I forgot the ending with Harry. I forgot that he killed himself at the end. So that was a surprise. But I don't know, maybe... We can get into it. I'm just curious. I might've found Ray a bit more annoying at times. Uh, Yeah. Or what he's dealing with emotionally. So you're like, okay, I'll cut him some slack. Yeah. And then I think I liked Harry more too this time around. Like Mm -hmm. he was, there was something admirable about his character. So so yeah, I guess those were something stood out.
1: And and to your point about trailers, um, I'm the same way now. Like if I see, if I watch one trailer, like, oh, I'll watch it okay, I'm good. I don't need to keep watching other trailers. It's usually a red flag for movies when they keep doing multiple trailers, multiple posters, because it's like, okay, you're really pushing this movie hard. Why? What's yeah. wrong with it? Uh, yeah. Butler, what did you... Oh, I know, exactly. Butler, what did you think of the movie? I guess, same question, first time since the last time you watched it. Would anything change? Anything?
0: I think the thing that always, like This is only my second time watching it, but okay, I think good. it still surprised me the second time from the first time is just the darkness that's within the movie that's layered as the movie. Like it's not a fun movie. It's not it. I remember when the trailers came out, it was essentially advertised like it was a new, like a snatch okay. type movie, like that kind of British humor kind of guy, Richie type movie. And it, it really isn't at all. And I think the other thing that strikes me each time is that, or it has struck me both times is how much like a play it can be at times. Um, mm-hmm. kind of makes sense with his uh, play background, but it's, it's, it, this one would be difficult to put on stage, but not impossible. It's use of a small cast of characters and the way they speak is conversational, but also uh, talking about, they kind of discuss the theme as they talk, uh, which mm-hmm. is something that plays do quite often, especially, you know, deep philosophical type plays, which I kind of enjoy in this. Uh, and I just, I like that a shot in Bruges. It's a very interesting city. It looks different. It's not like every other place. I don't know if it's a fairy tale, because it's kind of gray <laughs> and whatever. Maybe it did way back in the day. Um, but I, I just think it's a very interesting location with very interesting. You wouldn't see a plot like this take place in Bruges most of the time.
2: Right. Uh, oh, go ahead. Did you have something? Uh, I was going to say, I actually went to Bruges in 2017 because of this movie. So that <laughs> oh, that's nice. awesome. square area with the clock tower or whatever, whatever tower that was. That was really cool being there and seeing it all in person. So that was awesome. And I went because of this movie.
1: <laughs> do they have everything set up there where uh, they kind of like use the, the cachet of the movie being shot there to kind of like, Oh, Hey, this was shot here. No, they don't do anything like that. They don't care. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wild. Now I, I, I have a note about uh, Bruges where uh, I don't know. I didn't look it up. I didn't go further, but it says, I guess, um, somebody was executed in 1488, uh Pietre. Peter Lanchels was executed in 1488, and because of that, Maximilian of Austri- Austria's punishment was that Bruges had to keep swans forever. Like that's a note I have, and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so were there swans there? <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think one of the, one of the things that I forgot about uh, upon first watch to this watch was that I didn't realize how violent it was how how yeah. bloody it was especially when uh um ken jumps off the tower and like his shoulder explodes uh like i didn't yep. you know that and when uh the head's getting shot uh shot off and stuff like that especially towards the end i totally forgot about the ending uh about harry about just how it ends um i don't know i don't know why it, it, and it's almost like when i was watching it I was like, this is all new. I don't remember any of this. And I was, then I started thinking, did I finish this movie? <laughs> so, so then I started doubting my own experience with it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I enjoyed, I, I had the same note, Laura, as you did with Ray. Um, I found it very difficult to, I, it wasn't like you said, it wasn't like, like, I understood why he was the way he was, but it like, he jumps from emotion to emotion so quick that it's really difficult to kind of go along there with him and, and empathize with him uh, and he's when he's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> understandable.
2: And,
1: uh, yeah. You know, he's suicidal, obviously. Uh, and I'm very surprised now in the original script ending, they had an actual scene where we're alive. He survives those gunshots. And my thought was that, I, I okay, but I don't know if there's any redemption for him for killing another for killing a kid. I don't know if that's okay. I don't know what you guys think about that. Um, if that's something that you could be okay with if it wasn't in the movie, so we don't really have it's not really the you know what I mean, but if it was, would that do you do you think he should have survived the way, the way
0: they kind of had it? They they had to kill him. I think if they had filmed a different ending where it was where he at, was saving a kid or I mean, even if you show him, you know, years later, you know, we talk about the ending of you uh, Your Tailor Soldier Spy or the story of it where Mark Strong's now a teacher and he's taking care of the kid that's being bullied and he's kind of mentoring him as like his redemptive arc. Uh, like that would have to be something Colin Farrell's character like Ray was going through. But even then, I don't think you can excuse what he did. Mm-hmm. But it's him difficult. just kind of being in Bruges, yeah, not making up for what he do- he's done. He's just alive and has to deal with it, I don't think that really he's makes up wallowing.
2: for it. He's just wallowing in
0: it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, obviously it's terrible that he shot the child. It's
1: a tough scene, too.
2: Oof. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, don't, I don't know. Like uh, the Ken character where he's saying like, you know, we need to let him live because he's young enough to move forward and become someone else. And even though as we're seeing the movie, he's not really improving per se, but he's also very early in the events. So who's to say that down the road, yeah, he couldn't like redeem himself in some way or other and become like the movie. He just seems kind of selfish a lot of the time. But right. Who's to say that he couldn't change at some point. Mm-hmm. So uh, having said that, I do like the ending how it is where we don't really know. And it's you don't know. But but yeah, as a whole, I yeah, I feel like it's not irredeemable. <laughs> like, And he says that he wants to go to the mom. he's like, I'll accept whatever punishment she says. And so like, even Mm -hmm. just that fact that he has that thought at the very end, shows that he's willing to improve in some way and just own up to what he
1: done, what he's done. Yeah. No, it's it's just tough with Ray because it's, like I said, it's the, the one scene I'm thinking about is when there's a scene where he's like trying to make a joke about shooting priests and children. Like he just, he makes like a joke and it's like, and I thought that I think that was when they're on the bench together uh, by the water. I think I think that's when that was. And well, he, makes of, jo- he makes a joke. He makes a joke at dinner with uh, the girl on his first date. Right. I just think some of the jokes that he's doing kind of undercuts the the emotional scenes where he, you're trying to you feel bad for him. And I think that and I get it. It's because he's all over the place and he's you know. But then he makes like a child abuse joke. I know it's supposed to show how Ray is all messed up. He's all over the place. My question is, and I'm not questioning McDonough, but I'm, my question is like, is that designed to show just Ray is screwed up? Or is, did they even consider that when they were writing the dialogue? You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm wondering if that was just something, because I know Colin, uh, uh, the way Colin Farrell, you know, is acting in this, a lot of it seems like it, it could be ad-libbed. You know what I mean? Like it could just be yeah. running at the mouth kind of thing.
0: Some of it seems like, let's throw in some dark jokes here just to have dark jokes here.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, we can get to uh, Jimmy and the racist dwarf, uh, 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 <laughs> oh, his rant. <laughs> oh my God. I'm talking about how the whites versus the blacks. And I'm just like, Oh God, where's this going? <laughs> but I like how they bring it up later at, uh, as Ray says it to him, he's just like, that's the cocaine, man. That's just the cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Just like, Oh boy, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. So Butler, come on, give me something. You, you generally like this film, right? Butler. I did. I'm pretty sure I'm the one that originally put it on the list. Give me something Uh, you didn't like.
0: I think kind of the, some of the jokes I don't like that much because I think that it, it, sometimes like quite while I like them, sometimes it veers a little too jokey um, and then comes back into being okay. Like the, the whole basically the whole part where they, they take the cat, the not the ketamine. That's what Jimmy's on. They take the cocaine and the ecstasy and kind of that whole extended scene just kind of shows him kind of gaining a friendship with Jimmy that really you don't need uh, because Jimmy's going to come back anyway, because he's going to meet uh, the girl. I just don't think we need that. The whole, the blacks versus the whites scene, the scene in the restaurant where he's tapping him on the head while he's making out with the girl that just seems to be there to, to give it this comedic edge and to maybe pad out the time. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's necessary because you get like, that's an extra 10 minutes where the only thing that matters is how upset Ken is around Ray, but you don't really get that much of it. And you do get that moment where Ken talks about how Harry um, avenged the death of his wife. But I feel like you could have added that into a different section or put that in with a conversation between Ken and Harry or Ray and Ken and made it a little more meaningful. In a way that I don't think it is thrown, it shoehorned in with this scene uh, with the prostitutes in the hotel room with Jimmy. So I, I think that whole ten-minute segment should be changed.
2: Yeah, that scene I had totally forgotten about, and I agree. As I was watching that part, I was kind of like, "Yeah, why is this here?" <laughs> yeah. So, yeah I feel like that was unnecessary.
1: So that scene that you're both talking about that has the Ken talking about Harry avenging the, the girl's death is that in that scene? Yeah, like because the
2: they said that's the only important fact we learned. Right. Exactly. So if
1: I don't know if you saw it, but if you go on YouTube, there's actually uh, a deleted scene where Matt Smith, the I don't know which doctor he was, the 12th or the 11th, 13th, I don't know. He <laughs> plays a he plays a young Harry. And they show that scene where he goes in and he sees and he beheads the cop in the middle of the police station. And they, sh- they show it, but the the CGI of the beheading was so bad that they didn't put it in the movie. So I'm wondering if okay, that probably, it on it's on YouTube. It's at, Yeah, just look up uh, in Bruges uh, deleted scene and just look for Matt Smith. And they have the whole scene. It's like a minute and a half. Uh, And you'll you'll laugh at the beheading because it looks like a computer animated. It's terrible. Um, (laughs) But I'm but I'm wondering when you lose that scene, maybe you guys are both talking about that line of dialogue that like, you know what I mean? It kind of it's a nice piece of dialogue, but it's stuck in 10 minutes of what are we doing here? So I'm wondering if if that scene was in there probably would have helped. Do we need a flashback, though? It was a cool it, minus the beheading. It actually it was, was a cool was flash cool. because, because Matt oh, yeah, I'd Smith have to see it looked like Matt Smith looked and acted just like a young Ray fines, like a, just like a young Harry. So it was just okay. like, Oh, he's really good in
0: this. I had read about the scene, but I didn't see it. Interesting. All right. And he's the 11th doctor, Mike. Shame on you. I him. don't know.
1: Hey, listen, i <laughs> first of all, I've watched all the way through the, the new one. So, okay. Where have you been?
0: You're a braver man than I, <laughs> I'll wait for Russell T Davies to take back over. Uh, that's will catch up. up,
1: man. That's a catch up. A cop <laughs> cop up. Laura, do you watch Doctor Who, Laura?
2: <laughs> I watched the David Tennant one. And He's I the was, best. Yeah. After that, I just.
1: <laughs> I got. It. I, I understand. That. Yeah. Matt Smith's stuff was good. Um, Peter Capaldi kind of grows on you. Jodie Whitaker's doctor. It's not her fault. It's just the right Chris Chibnall, the guy who created it, who who's doing those two seasons. He just he mishandled a lot of stuff. You know, she, she would have been fine, but he just, he just, he, he, like doctor Who. <laughs> he had a whole season where it was like, what are we doing? Like, what, like you're he, and he actually changed a lot of the history of the doctor to a lot of people were upset. Like he changed, like, uh, like how the doctor was from Gallifrey. He changes that. And like the doctor's not from Gallifrey anymore. It's, yeah, exactly. And you my want mom, me to watch this? You want me wife, to watch this? Bill? My, my <laughs> wife is livid. <laughs> so yeah but back to this movie (laughs) um one of the things i wanted to ask you guys about um was the i actually really wanted to know more about ken's story about his wife being murdered in the 70s do you remember that part uh when he talks about how what's up we were just talking about no we're talking about harry Oh, I'm sorry. How Harry uh, was avenging Ken's thing I got got confused. I got confused. I'm sorry. The Harry scene is not about Ken's wife. The Harry scene is about something else. Okay, that's what I was thought. Okay.
0: My bad. That's about a corrupt cop or something, right?
1: No, yeah. My bad. I'm sorry. That was completely I'm completely off the rails. I keep confusing Ray and Ken and Harry. They need better names so I know who's who. Well, I asked, you know, Laura, I asked Butler what he didn't like about it. I know you kind of echoed that. Was there anything else that maybe jumped out? When I say don't like, it's not really a negative, just something that kind of um, you didn't respond to, or or you kind of noticed and you were just kind of like, man, maybe that wasn't, I don't really like that much. Uh, Uh, Is there something something like that?
2: I mean, the director is British, and something I noticed, like I watched Top Gear, like the old Top Gear that was British. And British people love making fun of like Americans as if they're all fat. And of course there were like the pretty fat Americans. (laughs) There's plenty of fat British people too. It's not just Americans. (laughs) So that part
1: was kind of like, okay. It's low hanging fruit, making fun of Americans. I get it. (laughs) Most of us are jerks, so I understand it.
0: (laughs) I was waiting for the Canadian part to be, uh, to end up being an American joke where he's going to apologize to punch the Canadian guy because he finds out he's Canadian, not American.
2: Actually, I did wonder with that, like he's on the train and he gets arrested for having punched the Canadian. But like, why was the Canadian on the train and then saw him and reported him? Or-
0: yeah, that confused me, too. Was there this huge manhunt for a small scuffle <laughs> in a restaurant?
2: <laughs> yeah. So I guess that part, too, didn't quite make sense. But aside from that, I, I don't know. I don't really have any major complaints with it like the acting i was just super impressed with everybody's acting so i love mm-hmm.
1: that um yeah i, I guess that was, that was amazing, like. what do you what do both of you think about ken's decision to jump off the uh jump jump off and kill himself in in order to i guess in order to make sure that ray is aware that harry's coming from what do you think of that decision should have gone
0: head first that's what i
1: think <laughs> well he broke the gun didn't matter he had the gun yeah take the gun
0: Oh, it was, uh, it was rough, but I mean, I get it because there's no other way to he's not getting down those steps in time. He's bleeding out quick. He's shot in the leg. He's dead no matter what, or at the very least going to be picked up by the police and spend the rest of his life in jail. So I think it was the right decision. I I just think. oof. Yeah.
2: I loved that scene too. And, Colin Farrell, which there's like a lot of emotion in this movie. And then that scene and then Colin Farrell or Ray when he's like crying, seeing Ken, like that part almost made me tear up just like all the emotion. And then this exciting moment or kind of exciting, but yeah. So I thought that was a great thing. And at least he dropped pennies first so people can like clear the way. That was nice.
0: (laughs) Well, he dropped the exact, he dropped the exact change he tried to pay to get into the bell tower earlier on in the movie. Yeah. So he kind of paid his way back yeah. up again.
2: Which that doorman was such a jerk like <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah.
2: Yeah, I don't know. It was funny, but it's like who would be that rude to someone? I
1: don't know. When he's when he's pointing at Harry into the, into the in his uh, forehead, yeah. It's like, "Come on, dude. You, read the room." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can not tell this guy's going to mess you up. <laughs> yeah. I did like the chase at the end from that scene. I thought the chase at the end had a really cool editing. Um, and it was, it was a nice chase scene through Bruges, which is nice, uh, you know, when you get a chase scene in a location. Uh, so I, I, you know, obviously leading to the uh, movie set at the end. So I actually did like the chase scene. So that was pretty cool. My, my, one of my, one of my bugaboos in movies is I don't like voiceover. Uh, and this movie starts off with voiceover and then it ends with a different person's voiceover. Um, I just, I'm not a huge fan of it. I get it. I understand why it was in there. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if you guys, did it bother you at all or was it just like, eh, it's fine.
2: Who's the beginning
1: point, uh, beginning was Ken, I believe. I think Ken was reciting something. Reciting uh, the
0: orders of Harry.
1: Right. Okay, yeah. And then and then it was Ray at the end saying, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, that cult that
2: whole thing. So I I just recently, maybe not recently, fairly recently realized or heard people talk about how that's like a no-no in movie making because it's all about show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. So since then, I've been more aware of voiceovers. Having said that, uh, it didn't bother me personally. I'll
1: find it. Yeah, sometimes mo- when movies use it a lot, it's because they're trying to fix something in the in the, the post production. Like there's a lot of editing going on that they didn't they need to explain things. So. I mean, we just did, our, we just had our movie for glory that came out, our, po- our episode for glory that we did and they do voiceover there, but they're actually reading from the letters of Shaw, the colonel that was so that I was okay with that because they're actually reading from historical texts, uh, which didn't bother me. But a lot of times, yeah, voiceovers and montages are there to, are there to kind of like fix, uh, fix boo-boos and stuff like that and stuff that happens in, in production. Uh, Butler, what'd you think of the voiceovers?
0: I thought the first voiceover is kind of necessary. Although you do get the flashback later on that actually tells you why they're exactly why they're in Bruges and who they are. All you know is that they have to be in Bruges I low for a while. They're going to get a call within two weeks. And that's basically what Ken sets up. And I think you also get Ray talking a little bit before that, like in terms of like, uh, what the fuck's Bruges, where's Bruges, all that kind of stuff. But that's, that's about it. So that's part's fine. I don't like the ending narration because He's he's put in the ambulance. Ray's put in the ambulance. He talks about, you know, I would have gone to the mom. I would have asked for forgiveness. It's like these are all, are you are you bartering with death kind of? Are you on death's door now bartering with God in a way? Is that who you're talking to? Are you talking to us, the audience? Because this is not the Ray from five minutes ago who was going to, you know, live a life in Bruges with his with the girlfriend and talk, have, you know, beers with Jimmy all the time. That's where it seems like his head was at. He wasn't going to run away and make good on his promises. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was just going to live life in Bruges. And then we get this, I would have done this, I would have done that. And I don't feel like that fits his character. And I think that's a a result of the ending being changed and re-edited and refilmed. And that ending narration, I don't think you need. Because I think the beginning is a dialogue that we're just getting. Uh, that's just over shots of Bruges, where I think that the ending is just, coming up with an ending that you like slightly better
1: than what you had it, it's funny that they make that that you have a city that's you know like a fairy tale they keep saying um and your last shot is the inside of an ambulance uh the oh, most, all modern stark and white and stuff yeah, yeah. The, the most ugly shot you could pick for for, for this movie <laughs> um do you think that was on purpose or do you think that was laura what do you think do you think that was on purpose
2: yeah, I feel like that
1: must've been on purpose, right? Like maybe going back to reality or something. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, you're in, it's picturesque the entire, there's all this violence that's happening in this picturesque location. And now you have somebody who's trying to atone for sins or something. And it's, it's not a nice, nice looking area, nice looking spot. Like I, I always, you know, there are sometimes there are happy accidents in film, But I always, I always think about Hitchcock who always had a purpose for everything, every scene and and always had a purpose for every, what's going on in the scene and what's, you know, there's specific things happening. So I always think that I always give the filmmaker, the benefit of the doubt that they are thinking that as well, but, but sometimes they're not, you know, like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do a breakdown of like a revenge of the nerds movie like this. So, you know, (laughs) I'm sure they're not thinking about stuff like that.
0: (laughs) I think it was, what I thought about it was like, I didn't think about what you said with the, uh, the stark modern kind of symbolism, but I thought the light that he's seeing at the end was just him dying because it goes up on that fluorescent light. And I thought that's what that
1: was supposed to mean. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Do you guys have any favorite lines from the movie or anything that, that you wrote down that you like? (laughs) I have a (laughs) lot of lines that
0: I wrote down. I don't know if I can say them on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I, I do like you're an inanimate fucking object. I have that too. I'm yeah. Apologizing, I'm sorry I called you an inanimate, an inanimate fucking object. <laughs> uh, I love uh, that that's our first scene where we see Ray we yeah. on the phone.
2: But yeah, yeah, I was surprised how much I enjoyed his character this time around.
1: And yeah. Oh, Harry, yeah, yeah, absolutely. He Bray does a good job. He plays him. It's almost like you want a whole movie with Harry in it. Him. Uh, But he's not, you know, he's not really, maybe he's the anti-hero, but he's somebody you follow. He's probably the, he's the best character in this movie, just in terms of, you know, who Harry is and you know what he believes in and what he's, friend. you know, like you you, you know, Harry. Ray is somebody who's obviously struggling. So it's really, like we talked about, it's difficult to kind of connect with him. And Ken, Ken's tough because Ken is like, uh, well, I me. you know what, before I start figuring out what Ken is, what do you guys think, like, what's Ken's purpose or what do you think of Ken's character is Ken's character as fleshed out as Harry or as, or as Ray is, or cause we've talked about both Ray and Harry a lot. What do you guys think about
0: Ken? Ken's a man at peace with what he does. Ken's a man who has had a life, uh, which is the whole point is, is Ken's a guy who can't start over. He's a hitman through and through. That's what he can. He, that's why he says the Ray, he can start over. He can do something new. Ken is someone who, this is his life clearly we find out later on his wife has passed away his wife's been dead for a long time so he's just been kind of going through the motions he's he's calm he's cool he's collected you know he, he's not living necessarily the best life but he's living the best life that he can uh outside of you know murdering people <laughs> so his life is essentially it can be it's over whatever he wants yeah that
2: and that whole scene where they're talking about heaven and hell and Ken is like now, like I try to be a good person, you know, aside from the fact that i killed some
0: people, right, like, yeah, none of them
2: were very nice people,
0: but except for the one guy, but he came at me with a bottle, and at that point it's a it's a weapon
1: <laughs> now he says that, so he says that, so does that justify him hitting that woman who swings at the bottle at him at the, in the in the restaurant? And he's like a bottle, and he just he hits her does that does that justify that for you
0: <laughs> he could have got he could have gotten away from her, but it was pretty funny when he screams bottle yeah. <laughs> he sucks.
2: but it does seem in this movie that ken like as far as the movie movie's purpose he just kind of serves as like an in-between between between harry and ray because it uh, it ends with them and those two well ken has some big events happening too but yeah he's a great character but I definitely uh, kind of gravitate towards the stories with ray and harry i guess but i
1: no go ahead go ahead yeah
2: i was actually going to go back to harry but if you have something more to say about Ken,
1: no i can go back to ken go ahead give me harry
2: <laughs> i was just going to say another harry scene which i don't know it wasn't my favorite scene in the whole movie but it was one of my favorites is when harry goes by the gun and the guy with the blind eye is there and his <laughs> whole thing about like well it sounds like it was your fault because were able to get the gun from you Yeah, whole thing so just yeah that
1: was- <laughs> <laughs> yeah what i was going to say about ken was that um he like, he pretty much, he's like, he puts Ray on the train. He's going to go away. So, and Ken's like, you're going to, Ken's like, you're just going to have to kill me. Harry's like, I can't kill you. I'm going to just wound you. So then let's say they, then Ray was never, never back in Bruges. Is that the end of the movie? Are these guys going off and that's it? They're just going to let Ray yeah. go and disappear. And and they're going to just go off and, you know, be together. That's the end. Interesting. That
0: but been, because, what? but that's what that fits harry's character that you find out is that he's a man of principle Mm -hmm. he has to do it it's his honor that's the whole thing right from the right from the very start other than his temper is he's a man of honor a man of principle and ray's back i gotta kill ray it's like that supersedes everything even friendship Mm
1: -hmm. So to that point let's talk about the ending a little bit i know laura you brought up the ending uh briefly uh that harry ends up shooting himself because he He makes heat. Perry comes up literally in the movie and says, you know, if that was me, if I shot a kid, uh, I would shoot myself right in the head right there and there. So flash forward now, he's chasing Ray. He shoots him with the uh, bullets that explode, um, which I would assume they would explode immediately going through Ray and not Pass through Ray, then explode when they hit Jimmy in the head. But we'll just—it's the movie, well, hit, so they're we'll hitting let it go. Slo-
0: soft flesh. So it's when they really impact on yeah, something. Yeah. It's
1: fine. It's a movie. I, I'm fine. You don't <laughs> have to explain it. Um, Jimmy's head explodes. So he, and Jimmy's dressed as a schoolboy for the movie for the dream sequence. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have seen Living in Oblivion, but if you see Living in Oblivion, it, it, the fact that he's Jimmy is shooting a dream sequence makes Living in Oblivion's. Uh, s- there's a scene in there where there's another little person he's having. He's having a fit because it's like he's complaining about like oh oh must be a dream sequence because because there's, there's a dwarf in it of course there's a dream sequence like like that kind of thing so <laughs> living in oblivion's hilarious it's, but that makes me laugh because that's what they're doing in this movie but anyways Jamie's head explodes so he looks but he looks like a child because he's got the uh, the schoolboy outfit on Harry sees it shoots his head off basically my question is I, I, do do you like the way that scene played out is it believable for you? the uh, in terms of the ending. I know they set it up, so it's probably that's probably a yes. It's probably another loaded question, but what do you guys think of that ending?
2: Yeah, I thought it was very fitting for Harry's character because we've seen throughout the whole movie that he's someone who sticks to his morals, which I think if you you're going to be like an assassin boss, you have to have some kind of guidelines or something if you're going to be successful at it <laughs> while balancing a family with it. <laughs> uh, so if if he had killed Jimmy, and not killed himself it just wouldn't have made sense i don't think so yeah i thought it was fitting and i thought it was a good end
1: what do you think butler
0: i think the whole time you know that something's going to happen to jimmy because they focus on him way too much so you know there's going to be payoff even before he puts the schoolboy outfit on and then once he puts the schoolboy outfit on you're like okay he's he's the kid and whatever's going to happen Uh, But I I agree. I think he has to have those morals and that's what they've been setting up this whole time. And I think if he doesn't kill himself, you're now setting up a different kind of theme for your movie. Um, If he just goes, nope, now I'm going to go on the run. You're setting up something different because the whole thing is you have to be responsible for your actions Mm -hmm. uh, and that you can't run away from the things that you've done. And that whole thing is that lesson is trying to be imparted onto Ray this whole time. And for Ray to witness Harry run away from that, would be also for us to witness that and us to be taught a different lesson or taught no lesson at all. Nothing matters, but that's not what this is trying to teach you. That's why you get got to stick to your principles. And he just (laughs) blows his head off right then and there, uh, which I think is a great line too.
1: What do you guys think of the Chloe character? Um, uh, She's pretty much the only female in this movie. So this is a male dominated film, but uh, other than Marie or Maria. Uh, Right. I'm sorry. Okay. You know, I, right. What do you think? I'm going to ask about both because I meant to bring up Ray. What do you think about Chloe's character or just her? Because I can't get a grasp on her in terms of what, what Ray... like. I can't understand what Ray sees in her other than it's a girl that gave him attention and it's a woman that kind of you know what I mean? Like they were attracted to each other but that's it. I don't understand any kind of earth shattering. Like why is Ray... like You know what I mean? Like why is he going to stay in Bruges with this woman? What do you guys think of Chloe?
2: Yeah, there wasn't really too much to her. Yeah, and maybe it wasn't so much about her, but maybe with what he was going on in his own life that made him want her and attached to her so much. The part when he's the boyfriend is like kind of mugging him when they're Mm -hmm. and he's upset. and He's like, "I knew someone like you wouldn't be interested in me," and she's like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Someone nice." Um, so that shows like his own self loathing. Like a decent person wouldn't be interested in me, so I knew you couldn't be. But yeah, as far as her though, yeah, there wasn't really much to her. I enjoyed her character, but she really just served to hit storyline.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was in that scene. What I was going to say was in that scene, it's like, she tells him like the show don't tell she tells him no, 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 I do. Okay. That's it. I guess, I guess that's that, okay. Now we're good now. That's, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, there was no, I didn't, I didn't get a connection in terms of just, more beyond the words of those two guys or those two people together. Maybe that's the best thing I'm trying to say. And granted, McDonough's a playwright. So maybe that's why that's like that. Butler, what'd you think?
0: So McDonough's a playwright. So I look at everything like through a playwright's eyes, especially sure. he's like trying to like be like Sartre or any of those other philosophical writers. I thought she represented temptation. She okay. is ecstasy. She is cocaine. She's the easy way out. I knew you wouldn't be into me. Um, he can't just take drugs to get the easy way out. She's leaving him just as soon as drugs come in. She only sells drugs. She's, you know, you know, beating up and robbing tourists. He became a hitman. It was his first job. So clearly he hasn't been doing this for a long time. He's not a civilized hitman like Ken or anything like that. He's not a businessman. He's probably been going job to job. She's just temptation, the easy way out. And he takes her again at the end of in Bruges before um, obviously in Bruges. This whole movie's in Bruges. But I (laughs) think at the end, while they're in Bruges. Uh, And he's talking when he comes back, he gets he gets bailed out of jail. He's not going he's not following Ken's advice. And I look at Ken as like the ferryman giving him a choice on where he's going to end up his final destination. And he ends up back in Bruges with temptation, with just the easy way out of cocaine and ecstasy and probably helping a Rob tourists, and just living a simple life and not making up for his past misdeeds. And I think that's what Chloe represents. She's not a good person. She's not good at all but she's fun. The
1: only thing with that, and I, that, I, 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 I too, but Butler to that point, I would think that if she is temptation, then she can't be good for Ray. Then when he's about to get on that train, she needs to be there to be like, don't leave me. Don't leave me. Like, you know what I mean? It, it can't be like, she comes to oh, his aid. I
0: don't, I don't disagree with that either, but yeah. Don't drugs always come to your aid when you're like feeling down. If you're an addict,
1: I guess I I, I think that I understand what you're but saying. But I do,
0: th- like, I do think that would be a good scene on the, on the uh, train scene, though, I do think that you're right. I think you just need more. I think you
1: need sure. what you're saying. You need more of it maybe to be a little bit like, no, this is what she is. But let me ask you this. If if that's what she is, what's Marie? An angel. <laughs> <laughs> she needs to be in it more. I thought Marie wasn't in it enough. What would you think, Laura?
2: Yeah, she was a great character. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, kind of like, so if Chloe represents, you know, the bad temptation, you know, the devil on your shoulder, then Marie would be the angel. Mm-hmm. uh just someone very wholesome and good and kind yeah she was a great character though and she was funny and you just liked her and then her note on the thing being like i'm not a receptionist like i'm the co-owner."
1: right so, i love that. <laughs> <laughs> and i thought her connection was more with ken though i thought her and ken had a bit of, more of a connection than marie and ray we see them more together
2: true we hear about him talking to her because she right. says like oh he told me um you know, he gave me the money. And then in the note, he writes, I didn't want her to have to clean it up if I commit suicide. Right, yeah, right. That's true. I never noticed that she and Ray never directly talk as far as we see. So I guess that could be symbolic, right? That he's only interacting with the Chloe character. No.
1: Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. There's a couple, there's a lot of different references in this movie or, or inspirations in this movie that I'm gonna, I wanted to go through. I guess one of the film's major influences, is Harold Pinter's The Dumb Waiter*. Uh, I think it's a play about two hitmen but I've never seen it or I've never I, I didn't is look it. Is it a play or a film? I think it's both. Okay. Be, so, um, have you have you guys have, uh, have ever seen it or heard about it or anything like that? I have heard of it but I had never seen it. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, yep. So they look at a lot of paintings in the movie. But one of the paintings they look at is is The Last Judgment by Hieronymus Bosch and I guess in the movie there's a ton of Bosch references. Uh, There's symbols throughout the film, but obviously the last judgment being that Ray and Ken are facing a last judgment. Uh, But I guess a a dwarf character is often featured in Bosch's paintings. So that was another reason why they use that. Also, I'm going to take this time to again, pitch to everybody to watch the show Bosch on Amazon because it's awesome. Okay. I'll I'll stop. (laughs) Those are based on books, Laura. So maybe you can uh, do a TV series. (laughs) Yeah. Those are, so it's a really good show, but it's, you have to be into like, procedural los angeles police stuff and and whatnot but i I, it but it's really good so anyways i'll I'll move on uh (laughs) the phone call that harry calls ken before ken gets the phone call he is watching uh touch of evil he's watching the movie touch of evil i don't i I don't know if you both have seen touch of evil Mm -hmm. but the scene he's watching is the one long shot in the scene so after after he turns the tv off and when he goes on the phone that whole phone call is one shot in honor of that of the movie he's watching there. So if you go back, you'll you'll notice that as well. Yeah. And then the last reference I have is that I guess, which I didn't see, I couldn't really see, but I guess this is references to Don't Look Now, the horror film from the 70s with Donald Sutherland. Um, But I think the reference there would just be the fact that uh, the the Don't Look Now took place in Venice, took place where I think it was Venice, where there's a lot of waterways and stuff like that and bridges and canals. And I don't really see the reference too much here. But those are some of the references in the movie. I'm curious, after watching In Bruges, were you reminded of other films? I know we talked a little bit about that earlier. But were there other uh, films that you kind of, maybe since then, since obviously it's been like 14 years now, um, that have come out since, the, I know. Every time we do this, it makes me feel older <laughs> and older. Uh, <laughs> um, did you actually, were, oh, that, and they did the, just like that in that movie that they did in In Bruges. Were any references that you kind of picked up there?
2: I can't think
0: of it. That's
1: fine.
0: <laughs> uh, I was reminded a lot of like, like the tourist with uh, Johnny Depp, the way it's shot. Oh, like, Christ. I don't like the tourist, but I think they might've well, picked up a lot from in Bruges. It's not that bad, but yeah, it's, it's okay. It was watchable, no, but it wasn't it's, great. No, but yeah,
1: exactly. It's, a, it's but like I think, a throw it on Saturday night. Let's watch it. I got yeah.
0: You. But there were certain shots, like when he gets off, when Ray gets off the boat and keeps running, and he goes up the stairs. I was like, I think that exact shot is in the tourist at one point. Okay. Uh, just uh, so I, was, I thought that. Obviously, in Bruges at night gave me big time Born vibes. Uh, just because Bourne also uses uh, lesser known, you know, European cities. It doesn't focus on London and Paris um, as as its main focuses. So you don't get a lot of films. At least you don't get a lot of big Hollywood films that take place in Europe that are in smaller uh, towns and cities like that. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, this is a low budget film too. Exactly. This is a European indie. So, yeah. Okay. So we're towards the end now. And I always ask Butler this, but Laura, I'm going to ask you this first. Why do you think in Bruges is forgotten?
2: Uh, Well, that's funny because I remember a while back on Instagram, there was an account being like, what's your favorite Colin Farrell role? And I put in Bruges, but then I was surprised how many other people have put in Bruges. (laughs) I uh, I don't know if cult classic applies, but I think for like more serious movie fans, like more serious movie fans know of this movie and love it. But again, it's just not mainstream because I think one, like maybe the violence mixed in with the dark comedy. A lot of people don't like that. And yeah, some of like the weird jokes that are said would put some people off. Um, and then was yes. it limited release or what? It, was it wide release?
1: It was limited. It never went over. Um, let's see. It never went over 232 theaters. So no, it was. It like we said, it played well internationally, much better internationally than it did here. So that could be a reason yeah. too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then the this director, Seven Psychopaths, just had more American names, so then people mm-hmm. just knew that one better. And then three billboards, obviously. But yeah. So the fact that it's foreign and it's more independent. And then, more
1: graphic. Yeah,
2: the dark humor. I guess all
1: of that. Well,
0: what do you think? I think Three Billboards was robbed of the Best Picture. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: Who, what
1: what won that year? I don't even remember.
0: I don't remember either. I just remember being mad. <laughs> oh, was that the Shape of
1: Water. That Maybe. That? That's a good movie, though. I like. that I movie. like Shape of Water, but I love the Three production Billboards design is is in Shape of Water. Phenomenal. I want to live. I want to live in that apartment. That she has that that, that apartment's fantastic. Pre-flooding or post flooding? Uh eh, both. <laughs> uh
0: I think in Bruges, I think it's advertising hurt it in this country. I think it was advertised as snatch. I mean, that's what I came mm-hmm. into it, think it would be. We did have it at our theater, I remember, for like a week. Uh I really thought it was gonna have more comedic elements. I loved it because it was very play like, it was very dark. Uh, but I think that like Lord said, the darkness hurts it in America. we we, we are very sensitive folk and we don't like change and we don't like things that are different. Uh, and we don't. we don't like things that are, we don't like things that are sad unless it's a sappy Valentine's day drama or a movie about a dog that dies. Uh, I just think it's too, this would be, this would do great on Broadway, but terrible in Hollywood. It's a, it's a really weird thing with like Americans and dark comedy and dark subject matter like this.
1: Well, I but I think, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I don't think but you're think, getting the, the oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Butler. Go ahead.
0: Well, I think like Laura said, also, I think people that love film love it, but I think modern audiences, it's a tough, it's tough to describe the movie truthfully and get somebody to watch it. But I think if you got somebody to watch it, I think they would really enjoy it. Like if I think if I played it for my fiance, cause I don't think I saw it with her in theaters. I think I watched it by myself after a shift. I think she'd really enjoy this film, but I think you can't really tell people about it. You got to just let them experience it.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, what I was going to say was the imbruge that you have, that we get is you wouldn't get that in a studio system in Hollywood. You would, it would be, it'd be ch- now I'm talking about 2008. Cause now uh, with, with modern day sensibilities, I don't think, and people just concerned about making upsetting everybody. You wouldn't get a lot of this. You wouldn't get the, the drug infused scene where they're talking about whites versus blacks and, and, and Jimmy's going off and spouting. I, but like, you know, that people are like that. You know what I mean? I think it's very honest. I think it's very honest with the way people are. I think. Raise an honest character, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that you need to I'm always a proponent of flawed people on screen doesn't mean just because I like a flawed person on screen doesn't mean I, you know, sign up for everything they say. But it's real life. It's people are not people are not, you know, they're not what they are on social media. They're real people. So I I appreciate that. Um, But I think that kind of movie can't get made in in kind of a hollywood studio system because you're, it, the script's going to get passed through 15 different people and they're going to all have notes and they're going to all just change what you're trying to do i think written and directed by martin mcdonough it's a it's a 15 million dollar production we're going to go off and do this movie on our own i think that's what that's why you in Bruges works absolutely this why was, it works this was on the blacklist i read it was a couple was years of years before it was yeah, actually made it, yeah the blacklist has become a little bit of uh, a little bit of a money grab. Now it's not as it used to be. Oh, the, really? Yes, because now it's pay to be on the blacklist. Get, it's just, it's turned into a you site you have to pay get to review. get on the blacklist. Now, now you do. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a sham. It's not great. Uh, exactly, because the blacklist used to be like scripts that people would read, like oh, the script's really good. Let's let's get it out there. And right. it was like all these readers saying like you're missing out on all these movies. And then that they they get picked up, and then it became this like huge money making scheme. Um, Laura, do you know what The Blacklist is?
2: Yeah, isn't that like uh, movies that weren't made,
1: but they wanted to be made or something? Right. Yeah. Scripts that script read really well and people really loved them, but for some reason they just weren't getting greenlit. Right. But they're, but they're really good scripts. So that was, it's good that they, those, those type of scripts get seen, but uh, what, it, what, what it once was is not what it is now is basically what I guess what I'm saying. Paid again, um, The Blacklist. <laughs> Come on. I know. I know uh yeah i think this movie is i think i think the violence gets a lot of people that love movies like pulp fiction like you know like like fandom young teens young indie filmmakers who like those type of films i think that gets them through the door um i don't think it gets broad audiences through the door uh uh, you know what i mean or probably turns them off as we say uh because as soon as you get i guess maybe what is it 10 what's the first death is the First death I mean, is the, as soon as you're going to see the kid. Yeah, that's yeah. the first oh, yeah, that, really violent. That'll death. completely turn people off. Absolutely, that's and, about twenty and, minutes in. Yeah, yeah. That, and it's a tough scene. It's really tough. And I remember back in the day, you wouldn't show dead children on screen, but now it's like it's it's tough to watch. But um, but it's a great scene because you need it. You you because you yeah. need it because you need to understand you need to what, feel what, it. You need to understand what's going on with Ray and, and understand what's happening.
2: The note the child is holding too just makes you just
1: yes really, yeah because
2: it makes it real.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely and it's it, i think one of the other things before we'll, we'll wrap up is that it, that it does have funny jokes and it does have like you know funny it has humor in there but they're not the, the two men are not comical they're still bad guys they're all still you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's, it's we can laugh at it but they're not comical Where it's like they're they're goofball they're they're serious men serious people but they're still bad dudes and even though there's some humor in there, there's never humor where you're, you're, you're kind of like, oh, I like these guys. I hope they're okay. You know, like you're never like that. You understand what happens to them. And you're like, yes, right. that, that has to happen. So, but that goes also to the point of we all think Ray should be dead. Uh <laughs> at the end of the movie. Okay, so uh, Butler, before you go into the spiel where they can find us for Forgotten Cinema, I'm going to uh, let our guests tell everybody where they can find her or just let everyone know where they can find you and where you you are, what what social media is and whatever you'd like to do, the floor is yours.
2: So you can go to whythebookwins.com and I have links to all my stuff there. And I also, my podcast episodes, I also do them in blog form if you would rather read it. But yeah, so I'm on YouTube as well, Why the Book Wins whatever podcasting platform you use, Why the Book Wins. And my podcast are book versus movie comparisons. But then my YouTube channel, I film my book versus movie comparisons. But then YouTube, I also just do other book-related content for the most part. Uh, and on Instagram, Why the Book Wins. Basically, Why the Book Wins
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so basically by the title of it, the book always wins is that right is that accurate
2: it actually doesn't so i hit two really year, and for my two-year episode i was going to go through it and figure out what percent of the time the book actually does win because i love movies too so mm-hmm. there's times where i'm just like well the movie was better or it's just a tie and it's hard to pick so the book does not always win but probably the majority of the time like definitely over 50 percent. i would yeah. Guess but it's
1: not like I hate movies. Well, some movies have to change. They can't do everything in the book. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the biggest thing. I think Butler and I always talk about Harry Potter and the first two movies are when you compare them to the rest of the series, they're not as good because uh, he was just pulling Chris Columbus, just pulling straight from the book and slapping it on screen. It's like, that doesn't work all the time.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. funny because there's been movies where they're so similar to the book and it makes me like bored with the movie. Yes. <laughs> However, then, like I recently watched Hour of the Dog and that is really similar to the book, but both of them are so fantastic. So if you're a good enough filmmaker, you can follow the book truthfully while still making an amazing movie that's mm-hmm. interesting, even when you know the end. But yeah, I've definitely read ones that are very similar and, and I just end up being bored watching the
1: <laughs> 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 well, that's fair. That's fair. Awesome. Uh well thank you for coming on. Uh and uh, you know, we had a good time with doing enemy. So I mean, this was great too. But before Absolutely. we wrap it up completely, Butler, where can they find me and you?
0: You can find us at forgotten cinema podcast.com or forgottenentertainment.com as we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. While you're there, check out all the other great podcasts. Uh and uh videos and stuff. You could find there. You can also find us wherever you get your podcasts and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Facebook. We're in the lobby. Come talk about in Bruges. Tell us about what you think about it. Have a conversation with us.
1: All that good stuff. We're on Spotify too. You could have said that. That's fine. Yeah, but I was describing social media, (laughs) Spotify, social media. Way to go. Way to go. Uh, So (laughs) join us us next week. Uh, Unfortunately, Laura will not be here with us, but next week we're going to be going to 1996 well, uh, we're going to be doing Butler's favorite kids film, "Fly Away Home," starring Anna Paquin and Jeff Daniels. Whoa, whoa, it's not—it's not my favorite kids film. I remember doing it, but I—that could change. picked it. Nineteen eighty-six.
0: I was like nine. So we'll see.
1: I'm not looking forward to this watch because uh, you, you don't know, like anything little, that you know. Oh, like that's anything, ridiculous! Yeah. Knock it off! Knock Nothing, it off. kid. <laughs> you old fogey. All right, all right, <laughs> Laura. Thank you again. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we had a really good time. I Thanks hope you did me. too. Oh no! Absolutely. Yeah, um,
2: that's really fun.
1: Excellent. Everyone go uh, check out why the book wins. It's, it's pretty cool. And it's a, it's a nice little, uh, it's a, it's different from a lot of the other podcasts out there. Cause I do always like learning stuff. So I like that. I don't know a lot of the books. I think I, the last one I listened to was the, one you did, uh, I know what you did last summer. And I was, and I think I know we had a back and forth on that. And I, and I was just yeah. Yeah, I, I was. I, so I like that. I like learning something for the pocket. So that was great. So everyone check out why the book wins. And then uh, and I'll obviously keep checking us out, I guess, if you'd like to. But that's OK if you don't want to. So, uh, <laughs> I, so I'm going to wrap it up. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema.